Let us pray. A most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening for the privilege that is ours to assemble to study a portion of your word. Lord, we are aware that the human mind cannot grasp anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's a request that the Holy Spirit will enable us this evening to hear precisely what you have for us. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. Still in Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36. Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36, but I'm going to read verses 23 through 26. It reads, He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and he did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be there will not be any. Now the main message of the major section of Exodus chapter 16 verse 1 through chapter 17 verse 7 that we keep bringing up to you so that you will not forget it is this. Be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. Nonetheless, we continue to consider Moses' focus on the strange substance, eventually identified as manna, the Lord provided Israel from heaven while they were on their way to Canaan in the desert during this journey towards Canaan. Now, our last study focused on the quantity of the substance to be collected daily and on the sixth day as described in verses 21 and 22. We we also derived a lesson from these two verses which is that God sees to it that we have what we need for daily existence while on this planet. So, in the present section, we continue with another focus of Moses regarding the provision of bread or strange substance for Israel for their food. Now the focus of Moses in this section of Exodus 16, verses 23 through 26, that we are about to consider, is on the exposition related to the provision by the Lord to Israel of the bread or the strange substance on the sixth day. Now, before we consider the exposition regarding the provision of the strange 
substance of the sixth day, let me state a lesson that we draw from it. This lesson is this. The nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Let me repeat. The lesson, the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now it may not be easy to recognize this lesson until we pay attention to the assertion in verse 24 that indicates that Israel kept the substance overnight without its thinking or having maggots. Now previously, Israel was instructed not to keep it overnight, but those that disobeyed discovered it, that there was rotten the next day, as we've already considered in this Exodus 16. Again, look at verses 16 and, and, and verses 19 and 20. Look at verses 19 and 20. It is, Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. However, in the section that we are about to study, the strange substance was kept overnight without any part of it being rotten. Now this proves that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether it is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now there are other examples in the scripture that confirm the truthfulness of this principle. Take the example of Israel attacking the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Now this incident occurred after Moses had conveyed uh, to the Israelites that because they murmured and did not believe the Lord will bring them to the land that he promised them due to the report of the spies sent to explore the land that anyone 20 years or more will not enter the promised land. When the people heard that, they changed their minds and confessed that they had sinned. And so they decided they would go to war with the Amalekites and the Canaanites, but that was too late, for Moses instructed them not to go, as recorded in Numbers chapter 14, verses 40 through 43. Numbers Numbers Chapter 14, verses 40 through 43. And hold on to that, because we'll pick the next two verses too. Numbers, chapter 14, beginning at verse 40. It reads, Early the next morning, they went up toward the hill 
to the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord promised. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you. And you will fall by the sword. Now in their disobedience, the people attacked the Amalekites and the Canaanites. The result was their defeat in the hand of their enemies. Look at verses 44 and 45. Verse 44 reads, Nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hills country. Though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in, in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Homer. I see, God said, don't go. Through Moses, of course, don't go. They paid no attention. Because they thought, because they have just said, we've seen that everything is okay, when in, in reality it's not. And so, when they went, they got defeated. But the result, though, was different. When the Lord sanctioned the Israelites' attack on the Amalekites. And that, when he did that, they defeated the Amalekites soundly. According to Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. It reads, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Now you see, they, make, they got the support of the Lord because God ordered that. And Moses, Aaron, and Hor went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. In other words, they soundly defeated them. So this example 
illustrates our lesson that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now there is a sense that this lesson was demonstrated in the miracle the Lord Jesus that called, of the Lord Jesus Christ that caused Peter to recognize that Jesus Christ was not an ordinary human being. See, Peter and his fishing partners spent the whole night laboring without catching anything. But when the Lord sanctioned their action by ordering them to lower their tent, I mean their nets, where they labored all night without catching anything, they hauled great number of fish as recorded in Luke chapter 5 verses 4 through 7. Luke chapter 5 verses 4 through 7. It is when when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch." Simon answered, "Master, we've worked hard all night. I haven't caught anything." But because you say so, I will lay down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to to sink. I see that's why the same place they labored. Nothing. But now, that action was sanctioned by the Lord. The result was different. So the point then is that the result of an action depends on whether it is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now this lesson that we are considering may explain the reason Killing in certain situations is not treated the same way as killing in another situation. Take for example, if a person intentionally kills, a person has sinned and must be put to death, as we read, for example, in Exodus 21, verse 14. Now I know this is hard for people to swallow. But that's the reality. Somebody murders somebody and they put him in jail. And somehow maybe let's even say he gets saved and becomes a murder prisoner. And he's set free. 
That is wrong. Even though he may be saved. We become a model uh, citizen from there now. It doesn't matter. His, the blood he shed has not been atoned for. And the more you have those kind of things taking place, the nation, the society, the community where all those things are taking place, will pay for it. Because violence will lead to more violence. When the blood is not atoned, that is the result. So you can't say that the person who committed murder has reformed so much. I mean, God saved, really. That does not excuse the person from paying the penalty. As we read here, for example, in Exodus 21, verse 14. It reads, But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, that's the key, deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. That's the way it should be done. If it is truly the case. Anyway, but if the killing though is carried out by a person because the law commands it, then the person that kills will not be considered as having sinned before the Lord. Now this may explain the reason prophet Samuel will not be judged as having done something wrong when he killed or ordered the killing of King Agag. As recorded in 4 Samuel chapter 15, verse 33. 4 Samuel chapter 15, verse 33. Reads, but Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Saul, I mean Samuel, put Agar to death before the Lord Agilgal. See, Samuel here carried out the instruction of the Lord to King Saul who was instructed to kill every Amalekite. Therefore, since his action was sanctioned by the Lord, in this case Samuel did that, he will not be judged as having done something wrong, contrary to the person who kills another individual intentionally. Intentionally. So, the issue... Yes, I'm going to repeat that even before we get over, uh, through this evening. That the major issue, major lesson that you should pay your attention is that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Now, be that then as it may, the section that we are considering is still dealing with the instruction of the Lord. To Israel through Moses. We know this because of what is stated in the first part. Where we are starting to go back to Exodus 16 verse 23. It is. He said to them. This is what the Lord commanded. Now Moses 
is relaying the lost instruction to Israel. That is what is conveyed in that sentence. He said to them, he said to them. Now Moses was not speaking on his own. Thus, he wanted Israel to recognize that whatever he says did not originate from him, but from the God of Israel. It is for this reason that we have the next sentence. This is what the Lord commanded. Now as we indicated, it is important that Israel understand that the Lord is the one instructing them and so they should obey the instructions Moses relayed to them. Now see, what Moses said is something that pastors and believers, the minister to, uh, the word of God should pay close attention. Now a pastor should endeavor to convey what God says and believers who hear it should be careful in asserting that the pastor merely expressed his opinion. Now pastors should focus on the word of God because that is what is authoritative and avoid human philosophies or opinions. So what I'm saying is that when a pastor teaches God's word, he should be able to say that what he thought thought is from God and not his personal opinion so that those who hear him must decide whether to obey God or not to obey him. That he has to be sure it's not his personal opinion. And you, the believer that hear that, you have to be careful of saying that is merely his opinion. So anyhow, Moses stated, this is what the Lord commanded. Now, what is Moses referring to when he used the demonstrative pronoun here in the NIV when he said, this, this is. What is that this? Now the question arises because the demonstrative uh, pronoun, this, is translated from a, a Hebrew word that although may mean this, but it is usually used to point back to something already referenced. Now this being the case, it is possible that Moses referred either to what he already indicated the Lord conveyed to Israel in Exodus 16 verse 5 about uh, preparing the food collected on the sixth day. That will be twice the quantity collected in any other day or to the doubling of the quantity of the strength substance on the sixth day that was mentioned in verse 22 of Exodus 16. Now this notwithstanding, although Moses did not use uh, another Hebrew word that also means this, which is one often used to point to something forward instead of backwards. It's probably that Moses really used the demonstrative pronoun this in our a verse to 
refer to what was about or what he was about to attribute to the Lord beginning in verse 23 rather than what he has already stated. Although the Hebrew word used points more to what was said before rather than what is about to come. Now Moses, after stating that what he instructs the Israelite is from God, proceeded his exposition of instruction to gather on the sixth day the double portion of his straight substance. Now his exposition first deals with the reason for the gathering of the double uh, portion of the strange substance on the sixth day. As in that sentence where we are studying, verse 23 says, Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. In other words, here we, we are arguing, he's now giving them a reason, an instruction for the whatever he's been telling them the Lord wants them to do. See that sentence, tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. If you read it, it just really doesn't appear to be dealing with reason for the gathering of the double portion of the strange substance on the sixth day, but really it is. Now this is because without this sentence, there is then no explanation for Israel gathering double portion on the sixth day. There is no explanation. For sure, the Lord does not uh, owe Israel or anyone else for that matter an explanation when he commands an action to, to be taken place or for someone to respond. But in his goodness, he often will provide us reason for a given instruction. Now I know that many of us will always want to know why. My thing is, once it comes from an authoritative source, as God who is authoritative, once he tells us to do something, no question asked, we do it. He doesn't have to give us reason. Well, generally, the same principle applies to relationship between children and their parents. Your parents give you instruction to do something, you do it. Don't question them. Knowing fully well, they have to answer before the Lord. If they are saying or doing something that is contrary to His word, they will answer before the Lord. But uh, uh, many times they may give you reason, but usually, if they don't give you reason, you obey. This is what we have here. God in his goodness decided to give reason. He doesn't have to. Well, that's my point. He does not have to. Once he tells us to do something, we do it. That's part of being uh, those who have faith in him. So, he often will, of course, give us an instruction, give us the reason. Does the Lord felt it necessary here, though, to provide Israel? The reason they were to collect double portion of the strange substance on the sixth day. The reason given to Israel for collecting the double portion of the strange substance was probably given to Israel after they had obeyed the instruction Moses gave them about collecting the double portion of the strange substance on the first 
sixth day of the provision of the substance. I'm saying that it's probably that very first week. Because that's the very first time they're going to meet this, this, the uh, seventh day. So I'm saying that it must be that first week when all these things happen. Of course, it's equally possible that the reason was given prior to their collection of the strange substance on the sixth day. Now, our assertion is based first on that word tomorrow. Look at what it says. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So, that word tomorrow. So, that word tomorrow is translated from uh, a Hebrew word that in most usage of the word refers to the day following the present day, that of course is tomorrow, or simply the next day, as it is used in the instruction of Joshua to Israel about getting themselves ready to cross the Jordan as the Lord will perform a miracle of dividing the river so Israel could pass on dry land with, with, uh, with the, without anything interfering with them. And that that will occur the next day from when Joshua addressed the people. According to Joshua chapter 3 verse 5. Joshua And once you get Joshua, put your marker there, we'll go to one passage and I'll come right back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. It is, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourself for tomorrow, that's the next day. The Lord will do amazing things among you. The amazing thing, the hiding of the Jordan. Now it is with the meaning of tomorrow though that the word is used to caution about boasting regarding what may happen the next day. In Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1. It reads, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now the word, the Hebrew word is used metaphorically of future days. And so it may mean something like in the future or in the time to come. As the word is used in the explanation of Reubenites, the Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh to the rest of Israel concerning uh, the, the altar they built on the west side of Jordan before they returned to their own territory on the east side, according to Joshua chapter 22, verse 27. 
Joshua chapter 22 verse 27. This is they built an altar and the, the rest of Israel I thought they were immediately getting into idolatry and they had to defend themselves. That's what they what we have here. So on the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our bond offerings sacrifices and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, that's the same Hebrew word translated tomorrow. But here it has that meaning. In the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. Time has ways of doing things. If there are no records kept, after some time, many, many things are lost in terms of practice or whatever. That's what this People were trying to avoid, say, this uh, pillar will set up. Altar will be a way to remind your people, in this case, the other nine and a half tribes, that's on the west side, that we, in the east side, are also going to be worshipping the same God and coming down this way to sacrifice to him too. Otherwise, with passage of time, your children will say, no, you are not of, even of the Israelites. So that's why they did that. Now, anyway, it is in the sense of tomorrow, that is, of course, the next day, that the word is used in our passage of Exodus 16, verse 23. Now, the day in the mind of Moses was certainly the seventh day. The seventh day. Now, this means that Moses spoke the words we are considering to Israel probably on the sixth day. Some part of it, at least, on the sixth day. Now, Moses spoke to Israel on this that he spoke to them on the sixth day of the week, the Lord provided a strange substance for Israel, uh, for their food, is further supported by the understanding that tomorrow refers to the seventh day because of the sentence still in Exodus 16.23. Look at that sentence. It says, tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath, to the Lord. Now the expression day of race is translated from a, a Hebrew word sabaton. I mean translate it, I mean translate use it in the English S A B B A T O N. Sabaton, in this series, and I'll put it down here. Sabaton may mean sabbatism, that is rest from labor or a rest period. It can also mean Sabbath observance. Now, the word is used for a period that could be weekly, as in Exodus chapter 31. Verse 15. Exodus chapter 31, verse 15. 
Exodus chapter 31 verse 15 reads, For six days, work is to be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to date. Now the word also may mean rest period of the day of atonement that is observed on the tenth day of the seventh month as per the instruction of Leviticus chapter 23 verse 32. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 32 and hold on to Leviticus once you get it. It reads, It is a Sabbath of rest for you, and you must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe your Sabbath. Now the Hebrew word may mean year of rest, year of rest, in which there was no plowing of the ground, and so no sowing of crops in the land of Israel that was to occur every seven years. Now those things when you read it, you can see God was just showing Israel. I am yes, I'm sufficient for you. Can you imagine telling them, No, you don't go plowing for a whole year. I'm going to provide the next year. What you going to eat? Anyway, so all of that is Designed to teach Israel that they have a God that they can trust. But unfortunately they did not. Many, many times. Now during this period though uh, Israel was to eat only uh, what grows by itself. Now this this, uh, year of rest is also described in the same Leviticus 25 verse 5. I say, whole oh, year, no power, nothing. Just trust on the Lord to provide. Exodus 25 verse 5. Say, do not reap what grows of itself or harvest it the grace of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Now in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 23, the Hebrew uh, word sabbaton means rest period. Rest period. That is weekly or on the seventh day. Now to ensure though, there is no confusion that it is the weekly rest period associated with the seventh day that was what the Lord conveyed to Moses. We have then a further description of the phrase, go back to verse 23 where we are studying Exodus 16, because look at that phrase, it says, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now the word Sabbath there is translated from 
a Hebrew word, John would like the same thing, Sabbath. Sabbath. S-A-B-B-A-T. That means Sabbath. That's the seventh day of the week. That's different from the first one. Now today, the it's often taken as uh, Saturday. Nonetheless, it is the seventh day of Israel's way of counting days. So the meaning Sabbath is used in that way in Exodus chapter 20 verse, verse 10. Exodus chapter 20 verse 10. Exodus 20 verse 10 reads, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. Now the word Hebrew word may mean that may mean Sabbath as simply a period of rest, which may or not be the seventh day of the week. It's just a period of rest. It doesn't have to be always on the seventh day. With a focus on this as a period of really rest. So it is in, this, in the sense of rest uh, given to a land in the sense that it is not cultivated. That the word is used to describe the land of Israel during the period of exile. As we read in Second Chronicles chapter thirty six verse twenty one. Now God tells them every seven years, one year no work, no no plowing, nothing. Leave the whatever the Lord provides you, that's what you do, but don't plow, don't do anything. They didn't do that. So God saw to eat that the land enjoyed it by sending them away 70 years. So we read here, the, law, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Israel didn't want to give the land rest. God sent them away in exile for 70 years. That land rested. Now Israel, again, they refused to observe the required Sabbath of rest for the land. So when uh, the Lord punished them by sending them then into captivity in Babylon, the land was not cultivated. And so then the land enjoyed the rest period the Lord wanted Israel to observe. So in a, in a passage, uh, 
particularly in our own particular passage here of Exodus 16.23, the Hebrew word means then Sabbath as a day of rest and worship. At the end of the seventh day week. Well, lasting of course from Friday evening until Saturday evening. That's the way it was for Israel. Now the Sabbath in our passage is qualified with the adjective holy. Look, we say a holy Sabbath. Now that word holy is translated from a Hebrew word that the standard Hebrew English lexicon of brown driver and brakes leaves the meaning as apartness, sacredness, holiness. It has the meaning holiness in First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 29. First Chronicles Chapter 16, verse 29. 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 29 reads, Ascribe to the Lord the, the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. That's a Hebrew word, Kodesh. Kodesh. His holiness. Now the word may mean sanctuary, sanctuary, as it is used to describe where Israel did their sacrifice and so on in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 6. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 6. And hold on to Leviticus. Next passage is also there. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 6 reads, He is to dip his finger into the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. That word sanctuary is the same Hebrew word translated holy. Now often though, the word is used as an adjective. Does it may mean holy in contrast to that which is profane or common as it is used to describe the work or the function of priests? They were to be ones that teach the people the difference between what is profane and what is holy. That's their function. As we read in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 10. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 10 reads, You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Hence the word holy here is is contrasted to the word common. As an adjective though, the word may mean consecrated as it is used to describe the bread associated with Israel's worship 
that only priests could eat, but that was given to David and his men, according to 4 Samuel chapter 21, verse 4. For Samuel, for Samuel, chapter twenty-one, verse four. It is very priest. This was when David was running away from Saul, trying to kill him. And he had nothing, no food, so he ran to the uh, priest to see if he can get something from there. But the priest answered David, I don't have an ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated, that's the same Hebrew word translated holy, some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Then they can eat it. Now another meaning is simply set apart as it is used in Isaiah chapter 23 verse 18. Isaiah Isaiah Chapter 23, verse 18. It is, Yet her profit and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. So here the word is really translated more like a verb set apart. And so the thing is the Hebrew word has a range of meanings. However, in our passage of Exodus 16 verse 23, it has a sense of holiness that is the quality of being set apart as opposed to something common. Especially, of course, here in a ritual sense. Something that's set apart. Instead of, instead of something that's just, anyone can use it. So anyway, Moses described the seventh day in the phrase that was taught in Exodus 16 verse 23. When he says, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now this means then that the Sabbath in question is to be set apart to the Lord so that it will not be like any other day in Israel. That's the issue. It cannot be like any other day in Israel. That's what God wants them to get. That is to say, all the activities you do every other day, you can do it on that day. This is going to be a special day. That's why one of the things being devoted to the Lord means. So again, this means then that the Sabbath in question is to be set apart to the Lord so that it will not be like any other day in Israel. 
The thing that makes the seventh day then, the Sabbath, to be set apart or devoted to the Lord, is that it will not be like an ordinary day, in that no work is to be done on that day. And it should be a day devoted to worship of God, as stated in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. Leviticus Chapter 23, verse 3. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. It reads, There are six days when you may walk, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. And really what it boils down to is the Sabbath was mostly a day of worship. So you are, you are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now this, that phrase, a day of sacred assembly, refers then to a day of worship. And so the Sabbath is to be a day devoted to the worship of God. Now the implication then is that no ordinary work is to be done in Israel on this particular day. Now consider even the fact that lightning uh, or lightning of a fire was not permitted. That will tell you how it is to be treated. This we know from Exodus chapter 35 verse 3. These are things that God did with Israel in order to convey to them the seriousness of what He's commanded them. Look at what it says Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. In other words, you can cook. That's really what it boils down to. For one thing, you cannot put, you know, light fire. That's what He gave them. Now, so it is true that no one was to light fire in their dwellings, but that does not apply, though, to the worship of God on the Sabbath. By that I mean, the Lord required Israel to offer burnt offering to him on the Sabbath, as specified in Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10. Numbers Numbers 28 verses 9 through 10 reads On the Sabbath day make an offering of two lambs a year 
old without defect. Together with his drink offering and a grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. This is a bond offering for every Sabbath. In addition to the regular bond offering and its drink offering. Now, see, bond offering requires that light be lit in order to burn the animals that were offered. They look at where this is taking place, not in the houses, where they go to worship. So this being the case, we are correct then to uh, in stating that the effect that the prohibition of lighting of fire on the Sabbath is only applicable to individuals' homes, but not the place of worship of Israel. Now that aside, Israel was not to work on the Sabbath day or do business transactions. Now the fact that business transactions were forbidden is evident in the denunciation of the practices of some of the returnees from exile as recorded in Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 through 17. Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 15 through 17 reads In those days I saw men in Judah threading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine grapes, figs and all other kinds of loads and they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day. In other words, some business transaction was taking place. Now, the point though is the Sabbath is really to Israel to be a day of rest, including their servants and animals. That's what is reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 14 reads But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall do you should not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant maidservant or your ox nor um, your donkey or any of your animals nor the alien within your gates, so that your 
man servant and maid servant may rest as you do. Of course, there's more to the, to the issue of Sabbath, but we'll defer that story until we get to the appropriate place in the 20th chapter of Exodus. That's why we'll look at it in detail. But the principle, really, that although we are not bound by all that God has given to Israel because uh, he was teaching them quite a bit, but the real principle that he has left them is this thing about worship me on that dedicated day and rest your body. Something that is very hard for many of us to do. We think that if we, if we don't work that one particular day, everything will collapse. No. You trust the Lord, rest your body. And you see what will happen. Well, let me of course uh, remind you, uh, as we end this lesson, that the main lesson that I want you to go home with this evening is that the nature of the result of an action is dependent on whether the action is sanctioned by the Lord or not. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will challenge us to know that we reflect for God, that we can trust in you, knowing that whatever you say, if we do it, we'll be blessed. This is a request in Christ's name.